Gazette Newspapers presents the Parting Shots Podcast. Now, here's your host, Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor, Ken Schott. Thank you, Scott Keezy, and welcome to the Parting Shots Podcast. Available wherever you get your podcast. Subscribe today. Thanks for joining me from the Parting Shots Podcast studio in Schenectady, New York. It's time for the NFL season to kick off. The first game is Thursday night as the defending Super Bowl champion Tampa Bay Buccaneers take on the Dallas Cowboys. On this podcast, we will look at the New York Jets with Dennis Wazak Jr. of the Associated Press, the Buffalo Bills with John Warrow of the Associated Press, and I'll speak with Brent Martineau, the former Fox 23 sports reporter and anchor, who is now sports director at CBS 47 and Fox 30 in Jacksonville, as well as a sports talk host at ESPN 690. We'll discuss the impact of the number one overall draft pick, Jaguars quarterback Trevor Lawrence, plus the addition of new head coach Urban Meyer. And just a message to the New York Giants fans out there, I am not slighting your team. I just was not able to get somebody on for the podcast, and I apologize. Well, let's talk about the Jets. They have a new coach in Robert Sala and a new quarterback in Zach Wilson. Dennis Wazak Jr. joins me to talk about the Jets. Dennis, thank you for coming back on the podcast. How was your summer? It was uh, it was good. I mean, it, it was a little different. It was a, it was better than last year, last summer. I mean, uh, for all of us, right? I mean, with everything that was going on, but at least you could kind of venture outside a little bit. It was it was nice, and then uh, training camp started, and it was all business from there. So uh, you know, it, it was. It's nice to have a little bit of that normalcy in the world, even though things are not normal yet. But uh, it was a good summer, and, and I think there's a, a lot of change that happened uh, with the Jets over the past you know, six, seven months. So it was kind of nice to see a new vibe around the facility, on the practice field, and uh, you know, a positive kind of outlook for a lot of fans who have been frustrated for a long time. Well, let's start with the, uh, the new head coach, Robert Sala. What has he been like, and how has the camp been under him? I think uh, what I like, you know, seeing him for the first time through a training camp, he's he's very even-keeled. He's very steady, uh, just like level-headed, on the field. Uh, he's cause What we've seen, Ken, like over the years when he was with San Francisco uh, in particular, is he's this – uh, excited, energetic dude on the sideline who needs uh, a guy to pull him back off the sideline so he doesn't go running onto the field, that kind of thing. And I, I think a lot of fans expected that kind of fiery type of presence all the time, and, and he's not that. He's he's very, uh, like I said, even-keeled, and I think the players like that. They know that on game day he'll be excited like the rest of them on the field and and he's pumping up his players but uh, behind the scenes he's uh just a, a very approachable guy a very uh like intellectual type of coach he, he's got like the, when you ask him about different things that he goes in depth into his thinking about different philosophies and approaches to the game and uh, I, I think you you like to hear that it's refreshing um and, and the players respect that and i think that's the key that we're seeing there's a lot of respect and with the respect comes a lot of optimism so that's i think what robert sala has brought 
uh, to this uh, franchise and the organization uh, a a change, a breath of fresh air, and and things uh, seem better. Now, all of that has to start translating onto the field uh, starting next week, week one, but at least you feel, if you're a fan, and even from the media standpoint, you feel that, okay, there's some sense of direction, and they're headed in the right way with leadership, and that's with Robert Sala and the GM, Joe Douglas. So I, I think that's what you kind of saw on the field. You see, saw a guy repeatedly uh, pumping up his guys on the field, like talking to them, like saying, you know, let, all right, let, like, let's get this, that kind of thing, but not with like crazy excitement that like maybe Rex Ryan had back in the day when he was here. Um, so I, I, I think those are the things that have stood out with Robert Sala going into the regular season. Knowing the expect, knowing the that market, knowing the the media, knowing the fans, I mean the expectations. Even though the Jets have not made the playoffs in the last ten years, they have to be high because of the the fact you what you mentioned about Salah. He's bringing the calming presence to this team. But I mean, how much patience should the fans have? Should the media have? Should the, do your franchise have? I mean, you can't turn things over around overnight. Right, and that's an excellent point, and one that Salah himself has actually made. Um, he, he said something to that effect when he was hired and through minicamp, and he kind of hammered that home in recent days uh, as training camp ended that, that hey, you know, there's a process here and you keep hearing that word process like you've heard it in different uh, markets and and in different ways but um he said there are going to be days where we look like we could be super bowl contenders and then there are going to be games where we look like we don't we weren't even coached and that's being a, a realist and i think that realistic approach um is trying to kind of um just kind of lessen or, or make the expectations of, of the fan base and media and people from the outside just kind of have realistic expectations that they're not going to come out like gangbusters. They might, but they know internally that they have a lot of youth. This team, it might be the youngest team in the NFL uh, based on roster. And for sure, there are going to be at least eight players in the starting lineup who are rookies or first or second year players who, um, you know, are still developing. They're still learning life in the NFL. And I, I think because of all that, he's trying to say like, Hey, you know, don't expect us to be Super Bowl contenders here. We have a plan and we're going to do this the right way. And uh, just the other day he said, you know, look, we've seen teams and, and even in this franchise, we've tried to do it another way and that way didn't work what we're trying to do is go from the bottom up and build a foundation and that's what you see in a lot of these positions you see the quarterback zach wilson you see the left side of the line with makai beckton and elijah vera tucker you see elijah moore as a wide receiver you see young uh linebackers in uh jamie and sherwood and hamsa nasseraldine uh, who will probably be starters to start off here. Um, young guys up front, uh, Quentin Williams is now a vet, you know, but these are all young base parts that will build this foundation. And that's what Salah has focused on that, that we might not be great this year, but we're building toward that. So just stick with us, be patient. And then that 
is the message that is going to be hard for fans to to kind of uh, be able to deal with that patience. And even Joe Douglas talked about it the other day, uh, the, the patience, just trying to like stick in with it and, and moving forward. Because let's face it, what they went through last year as a franchise, finishing two and fourteen and being winless for so long during that season, there was there was a sense of of dread and gloom throughout the year, with the only hope maybe finishing with the number one pick. They finished with the number two pick. They love the quarterback that who they ended up with in Zach Wilson. And now, even if they struggle, there's that hope for the future. And that's the message that's kind of being pushed out there. Let's talk about Zach Wilson and one of those players uh, that will be a, a first-year starter for the Jets. Yeah, Obviously, the Jets fans are hoping for Trevor Lawrence, as you mentioned, and they end up, you know, some think they made a mistake in winning two games. Who knows? But, I mean, what... <laughs> Have you seen in Zach Wilson that gives this uh, franchise hope? I think, first off, his camp was up and down, like, for sure. You know, the, he had days where it was like, oh, wow. And then other days, like, uh, you know, he's struggling a little bit. But there was there was also, and here's that word again, a process that was in place. I loved the way he talked and explained his process to us. And you heard that word from Robert Sala. You heard it from uh, Michael floor, the offensive coordinator. You heard it from Zach Wilson himself, the way he approaches his preparation. And it's, it's really off the charts. And I asked him about that whole thing and how he kind of goes about it. And he gave such a detailed, thorough answer. And just like, wow, he's, He's all football, and he's all in, and he wants to be good. And when you saw him trying some things in practice and then maybe getting picked off by C.J. Mosley on a pass that he might, he probably shouldn't have thrown, he explained that, hey, this is practice, and this is camp, and we're just trying to see what we might be able to get away with, what we can do that'll work, and things that definitely won't work. And that's what you're supposed to be doing in practice. You know, I know there's a tendency – for reporters and fans to want to focus on the results in practice as if it's a game. But when you think about like when you were a kid or, you know, in a pickup league or whatever, you're, you were trying like different things and you knew like, okay, we can't do this. You know, we can't do that. And uh, we let's try this because this could work in a game. And those are the kind of things that you're seeing from Zach Wilson. And that's advanced. You know, those, 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 uh, uh, just insight, that insight to preparation is what impressed me the most. And then you see the physical stuff, you know, that we all saw leading up to the draft and, and through BYU season, um, you know, with the arm strength and the arm angles and the ability to make some plays on the run, which we didn't see a lot of in preseason. And I think that was by design, you know, that I think a lot of it was scripted, uh, the plays where he was sticking to the things that they need to do. But we're going to see him with the pocket collapse roll out and make those plays, you know, and they're excited about that. They know he can do that. Now, um, it, that's all of that whole package, I think, has everyone optimistic that this is a kid who could be the face of the franchise and a consistent winner for a long time. And now, you know, we'll see. He'll get his first test just, you know, in, in just about a week and, and see how he does. But I like what the base of this kid is as far as a quarterback and his mental approach. Of course, uh, the Jets suffered a couple of season-ending injuries on the defensive side. Uh, defensive end Carl Lawson ruptured his Achilles tendon in a practice, and then um, 
Backup safety Zane Lewis suffered a season-ending knee injury. How uh, <laughs> devastating are those injuries? Yeah, I mean, Carl Lawson being lost for the year was deflating, without a doubt. No question about it. He was going to be the prime piece in that defensive front. He was going to be the one that makes things work uh, for what they want to do. Basically, they wanted Carl Lawson to be putting the pressure on the quarterback, and that takes some of the pressure off some of the interior guys like Quinton Williams and Foley Fatakasi and John Franklin Myers and Sheldon Rankins, and where they can just collapse the pocket where there's nowhere to go. Um, so that is compromised a little bit now. Uh, they traded for Shaq Lawson, who was up in Buffalo and um, played, you know, in uh, Miami last year. And so I, I think, um, you know, he's he's not replacing Carl Lawson. He's a guy who can help replace him. Um, they had Vinny Curry um, on the roster as well, but you know, Vinny Curry is out for the year uh, because he had a medical issue where he uh, had a rare blood disorder and is taking, uh, he needed his spleen removed and is taking blood thinners and those blood thinners prevent him from having physical contact, you know, doing physical activity. So he's out, um, you know, so, so it's a little banged up, uh, you know, up front, but they're, they're going to try to piece it together. Uh, Zane Lewis w- was going to be a nice, probably a nice backup. So, uh, you know, I don't think that, will affect them as much. The other injury that that is an issue is Jared Davis, an in, inside linebacker, who was going to start next to uh, C.J. Mosley. Uh, he's got um, um, an, an ankle, a leg injury. I think it's an ankle injury. There's so many injuries, it's hard to keep uh, <laughs> keep track. But he'll be out um, for, yeah, it's, it's uh, an ankle injury, and he'll be out for um, – Probably the first five games, they're aiming for him to be back by the bye, after the bye week. Um, so we'll see. But but that will also be a factor because now they've got to have Jamie and Sherwood, who's a rookie, start there. And um, he showed some flashes in the preseason, but he also showed signs of, of being a rookie and like struggling. And he's a converted college safety. So uh, he's learning how to play linebacker in the nfl so there are going to be some hiccups there too so those those injuries are there but that that carl lawson one really hurt and we'll see a lot you know some people called it uh catastrophic and i like i wouldn't go so far to call it that yet it can be potentially but we'll see how robert sala uh adapts to this because he did it last year in san francisco when they lost so many players Nick Bosa and Solomon Thomas and, you know, even Richard Sherman in the back back end, they had a lot of injuries. So this is not far into Robert Sala having to replace key players on the defense. Uh, one difficult loss the Jets suffered uh, before the start of training camp uh, back in July was the uh, death of a passing game specialist and longtime assistant coach Greg Knapp at the age of 58 who was hit uh, by, a motor, uh, by a car while riding his bicycle. I mean, how devastating of a loss was that? Yeah, that that was it was tough. It's one of those things where, um, you know, we in the media hadn't not here in you know in the, the, on the jet speed we hadn't really talked to him much. We we got um, one Zoom sit down with him and and he was great during that. And just everything you heard from other people um, who where you know he had multiple stops in the NFL and he was so well respected and well liked and and loved and um just for his knowledge of the game and uh the quarterback position the passing game um he was going to be 
the voice in Zach Wilson's head, you know, the one that would be in his ear to kind of help him through this first year um, and, and helping him translate what Mike LaFleur wanted out of him in his offense and that kind of thing. And, and he was going to be the veteran voice in that room, period. You know, that it's a very young coaching staff. So Greg Knapp is, is a guy who's going to be like the wise old veteran, you know, who everybody can kind of lean on. So it, it's just, that's a, that was really a bad loss and so bad for, for his family, obviously, and, and football, you know, he just, like I said, he was a very well-respected and loved uh, a person. So um, I think it, it took him a little bit to get over that. But one thing that the Jets did in the past couple of weeks was they brought Matt Cavanaugh uh, into the fold where he was kind of an advisor, just kind of looking, um, trying to help. And they, they hired him as an assistant basically to step into Greg Knapp's role, uh, what he was going to do. And, um, you know, he's, he was very close with Greg Knapp and, and he's, um, he's driven to help the Jets and, and Zach Wilson and the offense um, in Greg Knapp's memory to, to kind of take over what Knapp was, was going to do for this franchise and for the quarterback in particular. So um, I think that was a smart move. Matt Cavanaugh's got a ton of experience as well, also well-respected. So that's how they kind of moved with that because they needed that voice. You know, they needed somebody – who could be a sounding board for all aspects of the offense, who's been there, done that. And Matt Cavanaugh is that guy now in place of Greg Knapp. You uh, previewed the AFC East for the Associated Press. Uh, What are your thoughts about the AFC East? It looks like like Buffalo Bills' uh, division to lose. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to not, you know, not put them at the top. It's just with the amount of talent that they have and, and with Josh Allen, really coming into his own and, and coming off of an MVP-type year last year. Um, it, it's so impressive. And and that offense, and you, you look at the whole package of that team, like they, they are clearly uh, head and shoulders above everyone else in that division. And it'll be interesting to see how the rest of the division plays out, though, because, you know, you have uh, – Miami with Tua at quarterback and there were rumblings about whether or not they might be interested in bringing Deshaun Watson in as their quarterback. So there's questions about whether Tua is the long-term answer. And then in New England, just this week, when they cut Cam Newton, stunningly, it's like, whoa, you know, they, they're all in on Matt Jones uh, as their quarterback for the future, for now and the future. And then obviously with the Jets, with uh, Zach Wilson as their quarterback. So you've got a pretty established quarterback in Josh Allen and three really young quarterbacks who haven't established themselves yet in the rest of the division. So I think their play will really help determine how that the rest of that division plays out. Uh, but I, I can't see Buffalo not finishing on top, um, you know, in that division because they, they really uh, – what they did last year was so impressive and you got to think that uh, McDermott's got this team, you know, poised for, for, at, you know, going pretty far again, if not, you know, ending up in LA at the end of the year. Finally, the schedule makers must have a sense of humor because the Jets <laughs> open up at Carolina facing their old, old quarterback, Sam Darnold. What is, I, I know you probably won't be at that game because it's down in Carolina, but uh, just the, the irony of it all. Yeah, it's funny because we've asked uh, uh, 
Zach Wilson and Robert Sala about that a, a couple of times. And, and Zach Wilson had a good answer. He's like, you know, it's that that's the NFL, you know, they have a, a pretty good sense of humor. Uh, you know, it'll be a good matchup and that kind of thing. But yeah, I mean, I guess you get it out of the way now, you know, because just say this was week seven and Zach Wilson is dealing with some rookie struggles and Sam Darnold's lighting it up down in Carolina, you know, throw into, uh, you know, Robbie Anderson, his old Jets teammate. And, you know, just like I said, lighten it up. Well, there would be some serious questions. So now at least you get that, that matchup out of the way and, um, and see, and, and maybe, you know, they get off, the Jets get off on a good foot. You know, they know what to expect from Sam Darnold, uh, you know, physically, um, you know, it's a different type of uh, offense, obviously, and I think Joe Brady will be good for him down there. I still, I still believe that Sam Darnold can be a solid quarterback in this league. He showed enough flashes that it was just like, man, he's got the talent. It just got to bring it out, you know. And um, I think the Jets and their fans have to just kind of, even if Sam does have tremendous success down there just to like close the, the book on him and just move forward because it was never going to happen here. Yeah. Um, it, it, he needed a, a, a change of scenery and, and I think that'll help him. And I think the jets are in a good spot where they have a quarterback and a system that works with that quarterback. But yeah, man, what, what a, what a funny thing like to see when that, when that schedule came out you saw jets of Carolina, like, Oh man, like that, <laughs> like right off the bat. Cause I thought like maybe they would do something like, because the jets are playing the Jaguars this season. Maybe they would have Zach Wilson and Trevor Lawrence uh, square off week one, which would have been something too to have number one, number two, uh, that'll happen later in uh, December. But, uh, but yeah, that, that's a, a pretty, pretty fun way and uh you know sneaky funny way of the nfl to kick off the season with the panthers and jets well dennis uh, where can people follow you again on twitter they can follow me at dwaz 73 dwaz 73 and uh go to apnews.com and find uh all the ap coverage there and uh i appreciate you uh having me on and uh we're finally here. Yes. We've got a week to go, and the football season is coming. And the fans will be in the stands again, which is wonderful. Exactly. That's so great. Yeah. Definitely. Dennis, I appreciate it as always, and we'll talk again during the season. Sounds good, Ken. Thanks so much. Up next, I will preview the Buffalo Bills with the Associated Press's John Waro. You're listening to the Parting Shots Podcast. Sign up for the weekly Daily Gazette sports newsletter. The newsletter features updates on the local sports scene from our staff writers, debate on topics local and national, and reveals the latest guests for the Parting Shots podcast. The newsletter is free. To sign up, head to dailygazette.com. Hi, this is Harborside Hal Wafer. I'm the manager of the River Sportsbook at Rivers Casino and Resort. Now, it's always a winning bet to listen to the Parting Shots podcast with Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor, Ken Schott. Welcome back to the podcast. The Buffalo Bills won the AFC East title last year and reached the AFC Championship game. There has been some drama off the field with the team. To talk about that, here is John Warrow of the Associated Press. John, welcome back to the podcast, and uh, how was your summer? Summer was busy. It, uh, you know, still coming, still dealing with the COVID sports schedule, so everything just runs into each other with uh, 
you know, one, you know, three weeks you're covering the Stanley Cup Finals in Montreal. The next you come back and you've got the draft and free agency, NHL draft and free agency in late July, and then all of a sudden it's football season. Yeah. Well, let's talk, let's get on to the Bills case. You mentioned the COVID situation. I mean, it seems like huh. the Bills are coming off of you know, making the AFC Championship game, winning the, winning the AFC East last season. But it seems like there's a lot of distractions off the field. Uh, as I mentioned, COVID, the stadium issue. Let's let's deal with the COVID issue first. Um, several players, Cole Beasley's been outspoken about not getting the vaccine. Uh, uh, Isaiah McKenzie and Beasley were fined uh, for not wearing masks inside the team facility. I mean, what is the situation with this? Is this could this be a really a, a, a t- thing that could tear the team apart? I don't think it has the potential of tearing the team apart until somebody actually misses a game and potentially cost the team a win. Um, right now, they seem to be fine with it. They're all sticking with their similar responses of it's a, it, it's everybody's personal choice on this. Um, but, but, you know, even Coach Sean McDermott walked a fine line last week after, or two weeks ago, I'm sorry, uh, 10 days ago, after, you know, they had four players placed in self-isolation because they're all unvaccinated and were required to, you know, miss five days of practice. Um, he walked a fine line in the sense that, you know, he is a, he's very adamant in, in, in believing people should get vaccinated by, while also understanding that, you know, he can't convince players to do so. It's up, it's their choice. Um, it it's not going to become a distraction until it becomes a distraction, which is what happened last you know uh, ten days ago when the four when the four players were you know were were, were forced to leave the facility um, because they're unvaccinated. So you know it has the potential of derailing the season to a certain extent if players do miss games, um, and especially the players who appear to be unvaccinated. Based on you know what happened two weeks ago, they they pulled linebackers AJ Klein and Matt Milano um, aside after the team's trainer, who's vaccinated, tested positive. So we know those two players are unvaccinated, and then you've got Cole Beasley and Gabriel Davis, two two of the top four receivers, and Starlo Tulele and Vernon Butler, two a starting and backup defensive tackle who missed five weeks for five days. I'm sorry, and so. Not having those guys available in in the event that something happens could potentially hurt them, um, you know, on any given weekend. Edgy, I, I'm I'm at the at the point now. I'm just so frustrated with some of these athletes. I mean, I some you know, I'm a big Philadelphia sports fan. And several of the Phillies had issues with it, and I'm thinking, are you waiting for somebody to die before you finally get the vaccine? Well, I mean, there is that. I mean, and and this comes after you know. Bill's left tackle, Deion Dawkins, feared for his life after being in the hospital for four days with a severe case of COVID. Um, And this is just shortly after he got vaccinated but wasn't considered fully vaccinated. And he was afraid for his life. Um, If that didn't really sink in with some of these guys, then I'm not exactly sure what will. Um, My biggest thing is, you know, okay, fine. Personal preference is, is important. I understand, but I also understand the importance of vaccination. But, you know, when you're an athlete in a team sport, in this case, the players who are unvaccinated are putting themselves ahead of the team. And especially in football, that is largely unheard of. 
especially now with the, the league coming out this year saying if you're going to miss games and we you're going to end up forfeiting games and not get paid. Right. I mean, that, that should, to me, that should be a wake-up call. Sig, you, you, you don't want to miss a paycheck or you don't want to miss a game. Well, not only are you missing the paycheck, you're having your teammates miss a paycheck. And so that's where it could, that's where it could become divisive, should it ever come to that. Um, the Bills, before their final cuts, were among the lowest vaccinated teams in the NFL. There was about four of them that were under 90%, and the Bills were one of them. They were at about 80%, just under 80% vaccinated. Um, I'm... I'm I, we don't have the latest numbers following the cuts, but I assume, um, I expect they're close, still close to that 80% percentile rate. The encouraging thing is, you know, after Josh Allen, the, you know, the, the star quarterback expressed hesitation about getting vaccinated back in April, it appears to be that he is, which I think is integral because he put the team ahead of his own personal beliefs. Yeah. Another issue, it's, I mean, not, not a distraction for the players, but for the fans probably, is the uh, Bills uh, said they will not renew their lease with their with the state or county without a partially publicly funded agreement in place for a proposed new $1.4 billion stadium. Uh, so their future, team's future beyond uh, July 2023 is up in the air. What's the latest with that, John? Well, uh, you know, this has all been, you know, we're getting these stories now because discussions kind of began in late May, even though the two sides... The two sides have been have been have held exploratory discussions, and, and 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 the bills have presented what they hope to see as far as the stadium across the street from their current facility, um, and they project that cost to be one point four billion. The state still has to do its due diligence because it's just been been presented these findings, and it's going to have to look at the numbers and look at look look and consider whether this is what they want or maybe they. They haven't ruled out a potential downtown stadium, but that would be um, exorbitantly more cost uh, costly because it's downtown and there's infrastructure concerns that have to be taken into account. That said, a deal needs to be – the quicker a deal's done, the, 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 more, the better we'll know that the, the bill's future in Western New York is secure. Um, one issue is going to be how – how much taxpayer funds the bills are going to want um, or going to ho- hope to, to, that, that help fund this, you know, this project. Um, I, the APs reported that they're asking for more than 50%. Um, I think it's going to, I think it's actually even more than 60%. Um, so we'll see where things fly on that end. Um, time is somewhat getting short. The Bills were hoping to have an agreement in place before the October or the October NFL owners meetings. I'm not sure if that date is realistic. Um, one thing, one thing that's held up talks is we had a change in governor after Andrew Cuomo resigned, and um, Kathy Hochul, who is from Buffalo, um, is, is has now taken over. Um, and what's a pressure point in talks is the fact that. Kathy Hochul, who says she's going to be running for re-election, that, that comes up in about 14 months. So the Bills are hoping that they get a deal done, and I think the state is hoping it gets a deal done because we could be back to the drawing board if, for some reason, you know, if there's another new governor in place come, uh, come November 2022. Yeah. Um, I mean, that stadium is, what, 50 years? One of the older stadiums in the league now, 50, just about 50 years old. 
Yes, it was. Uh, it opened in '73, so it's you know I, I I can't do the math. I'm a sports writer. That's why I got the sports. So I'm not going to try to do the math on that. But it is one of the older facilities in the NFL, and renovations have essentially been ruled out, although not entirely by the county. But speaking to state officials, I believe they've ruled out renovations because they're going to be cost prohibitive. Um, the bills, I think, have inflated what their estimate is by. The bills have said publicly between 800 and $1 billion in renovations are necessary. I think that's a little bit inflated, but I do think it's, it's approaching $700 billion, or $700 million, I'm sorry, which would be essentially half of the project. So I'm not, I don't know if it's cost effective to, 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 to pour $700 million in renovations in which they'd have to redo the entire third deck and other uh, structural uh, issues have to be addressed. Um, rather than build a new stadium. So I think everybody's on board that a new stadium is l- the likely way to go. Um, now it just depends on how they're going to split the cost, which is always the issue. Yeah. Well, let's talk about the team. They're coming off uh, an AFC East division title and a, an appearance in the AFC championship game. Uh, what's going to be the key for them to take that next step and win the AFC championship and get back to the Super Bowl? Well, it's going to be uh, it, it's going to be defense. That was the one thing that held them back last year. Um, even though in the AFC Championship game, the Bills looked like they were in over their heads once the game got away from them on offense and defense. They had a 9 nothing lead before kind of unraveling. Uh, the offense stalled and the defense couldn't stop the Kansas City Chiefs. Um, the Chiefs were a better team last year. Um, and they were a better team in the regular season when they beat the Bills and, and uh, when the Bills lost back-to-back games uh, to Tennessee and Kansas City. Now, the one thing that was holding the Bills back, as I said, was defense. They couldn't, they had difficulty generating a pass rush without having to, you know, make it a five person, five man pass rush. They had difficulty pressuring the passer with just a four, four man pass rush. And they had trouble against the run. They hope, they believe they've addressed those issues, um, this season. In part because Starlo Tulele, who opted out last year for COVID reasons, is back. He's the big run-stuffing tackle who takes up a lot of blockers in the middle. He doesn't produce a lot of stats, but his absence last year was noted because they had they didn't have that presence in the middle. They also addressed their pass rush by by using the top two picks in the draft to. Um, to to, to, to select defensive ends, Greg Russo out of Miami and Carlos Basham out of Virginia Tech. I think it's Virginia Tech. I could be wrong, but I think that's right. Sorry. Right. Um, and um, so, and, and Russo has looked good in the preseason. He's six foot six, long arms, and seems to have an ability to a knack to get around. Um, he has the speed and, and the strength to get around some people, uh, offensive linemen. So if they can generate more pass rush, the knock because they were unable, they, they had difficulty knocking Patrick Mahomes, you know, out of, uh, you know, making him uncomfortable. So when it comes to that, if they can make Patrick Mahomes uncomfortable, because they'll be playing Kansas City again in October, then we'll then. That might that might make a bit of a difference, and if the offense and like, there's no reason to believe the offense is going to take a step back. They lost John Brown, but they added Emmanuel Sanders, who I think is just as capable of a receiver in the system um, as John Brown was. Though 
Emmanuel Sanders might not be a speed guy. As, uh, he, he's more of a possession receiver, and that's what this offense is based around. Yeah. Well, Josh Allen uh, is one of the 10 stars returning on offense. I, mean, he lit, he, I think he really had a great year last year. Uh, he signed a contract extension. It's going to keep him in Buffalo for a long time. Uh, what's he got to do to get better? And, and uh, is there any flaws that he needs to correct? I, I don't know. I mean, I his mastery of the offense now entering his fourth season under the, under the same offensive coordinator and Brian Gable has grown tremendously. He looks very comfortable in the pocket. He just has to remember, which, which is what he did last year, is not play beyond himself. Let the team do the work. He learned not to scramble out, out of the pocket when he didn't need to. He learned to be patient in the pocket and find and find his read. Um whether it's his first read, his second read, or third read, which is extremely important. The most important thing for, for Josh Allen, which is a difference, which, 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 he's, which we've seen him progress since his first two seasons, is, he's not, is that he doesn't put himself in jeopardy to be hurt, um, which is why he's learned how to get rid of the ball, whether it's just dumping it off or throwing it away. And the important thing is Josh Allen continues doing what he's been doing, He's been on a his trajectory has continued to point upward, and last year we saw his real potential. I, I, uh, barring an injury, I don't see him taking a step back. And he's now the grizzled veteran in this uh, AFC East. Huh. Uh, I mean, this to me, I mean, I talked with Dennis Wazak Jr. earlier, and you know, he basically we, we agreed that this is basically the Bills' division to lose. Uh, no doubt, and 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 Dennis, you know, I I, I Dennis is, is is such a good guy. I like working with him, and and, and he's, he's a good colleague. And I hear he might have said some nice things about me, so I, I'm glad my twenty <laughs> I'm glad my twenty bucks uh, to him really paid off. So I appreciate that. Uh, but no, he's right. The rest, the rest of the AFC is playing catch up, and I. I know he projected the Patriots to be second in the AFC East this year. I still think it's Miami because Miami might be a little bit ahead of New England when it comes to quarterback. Despite when it comes to roster, and I and I'll call it a wash between Tua and and now that um, now that New, New England New England the Patriots are going with a rookie, um, I think it's a wash there. But I just think that what Miami's done, um, aside from quarterback. They have followed the Bills' model in building a team. That said, I still think the Bills are the class of the AFC East right now. How many times has have you heard that? Not, um, not often. Not, I, not last no. twenty years. But and, and, and rightfully so. They, they, you know, rightfully so in both ways. They were bad, and now they're they're that team. They're that good. Um, and so the, to see, it, it would be a shock if they lost the East. Um, they have a reputation of beating up on rookie quarterbacks, which is why I don't. I think they're gonna. Uh, the Patriots are gonna have issues this year against the Bills. Um, the Dolphins you generally struggle against the Bills, and now you've got the Jets who are still trying to find themselves. Maybe they have. Maybe they will, but it's not going to be this year. I don't think. Yeah, and it'd be once again uh, the Bills will have the fans and the Bills Mafia will be back in the stands this year. How much fun is that going to be? Well, that's that's the one thing that really was missing last year. I mean, they finally got six sixty six hundred fans in the stands, you know, for the playoff games, um, and they were loud. But I really would have liked to have 
heard and felt what that stadium looked like with an actual with, with, with that team because it would have just been made made the atmosphere and the game environment so much more electric. Um, and let's face it, I mean, even even us, us sports writers know when when a building is rocking and, 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 and how much more fun it is because it emphasizes the importance of the game and you, you, you really get a rush out of it when you're in the press box, be it hockey or, or football. And I really would have enjoyed hearing what that stadium was like for that night game against Baltimore or, you know, beating beating New England in Buffalo, which, you know, was would have been, it would have been just cool to be, be a part of. Yeah. Well, John, where can people find you on Twitter? Because I know you have a lot of fans on Twitter. <laughs> yes, I have many, many fans. Um and that use that word singularly, yes. but no, uh, John <laughs> underscore Waro W A W R O W, which is the common spelling of Waro, I believe. But uh, that's where you can find me. And uh, um, all of you know, uh, I, I, I have I, I, I my, my 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 Twitter feed is a bit of an experience, so I'll just leave it at that. Uh, yes, I, I, I watch it, and it's like I just laugh at some of the comments that are made on on your Twitter feed. So, John, appreciate a few minutes. Uh, have some fun this season. Well, maybe you and uh, you, me, and Steve Wild can talk some hockey later on this season. That would be a blast. Always a pleasure, Ken. Up next, I'll talk to Brent Martineau about the Jacksonville Jaguars and Trevor Lawrence. You're listening to the Parting Shots podcast. The pro football season is here, and it's time to play the Daily Gazette You Pick'em Football Contest. Predict the winners of the weekly games via your You Pick'em online account. The fan with the most correct points each week gets his or her name in the Daily Gazette on Thursday and wins a $100 ShopRite grocery card. The fan with the most overall points after 23 weeks wins a $1,000 travel voucher and could win a trip to Hawaii. For official rules, go to dailygazette.com slash football. The You Pick'em Football Contest is run by the Daily Gazette Advertising Department and not associated with the Daily Gazette Sports Department. Hi, this is Daily Gazette Sports Editor Michael Kelly. You're listening to the Parting Shots Podcast with Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor Ken Schott. Nice to have you back on the podcast. The Jacksonville Jaguars won the Trevor Lawrence sweepstakes last year, going 1-15 to get the number one pick. They also have a new coach in Urban Meyer. I spoke with Brent Martineau, the sports director at CBS 47 and Fox 30, as well as a sports talk host at ESPN 690 in Jacksonville, about the Jaguars. And you may remember Brent from his years as a sports reporter and anchor here at Fox 23. But Brent, it's great to catch up with you. It's been a while since we've chatted back in your days at uh, Fox 23. How are things in Jacksonville? Oh, awesome. Uh, it's good, and, and now we just need the Jags to win. We love it down here. It has been a while since 2008 since Albany, but uh, love everybody up there and, and so many close friends and miss some of you guys. Uh, and miss the track, man. I miss Saratoga. I wish I was up there to catch a race. <laughs> well, it's been a, it's been a good time up in Saratoga. They, they wrap things up Monday, so it's going to be a uh... – it's been a good year for them. It's after you know, having to race in front of no fans last year, but uh, you know, they had a great crowd at the Travers uh, recently, and it's, so it's, it's all good. So that's good. Uh, yeah, good yeah. I mean, you're busy with the sports talk show and your television job. I mean, how, how do you balance that? Yeah, it's been, it's pretty cool. Uh, you know, just fun 
being able to do what we do. It's a it's big Jags market and college football and high school football market. Uh, it's kind of like two seasons around here. It's like one August through February and even the Daytona 500. Um, and then like June and July get really slow. And there's a couple of events. We obviously cover all the NFL stuff with the draft, the players championship. But um, so it's it's great. Uh, but juggling it, it's it's in the same building for me. So good. quite honestly, I go like on a Friday night. I'll go do a high school football show on the radio from nine to ten twenty five, and uh, I'll literally go right downstairs and go right on TV at ten thirty, wow. uh, and then stay on TV until about eleven thirty with our high school coverage. So uh, I've been fortunate to be able to do both, and and they're in the building, so uh, it's cool. We we can kind of grow our brand that way and. Um, we're lucky, man. We're lucky to be able to do it the way we do it. Yeah. Well, let's talk about the Jaguars. Obviously, they were the big deal uh, in the draft, and uh, Trevor Lawrence that was the obvious choice, the over, number one overall pick out of Clemson. Had a great college career as a quarterback there. What are the expectations with Trevor Lawrence? I would imagine they're high, maybe even higher than a lot of people think. Yeah, he's the real deal. He looks at everything that we know about him over eight months. And, you know, ever since last December when the Jets won a couple of times, we've been all over the Trevor story. And we've gone to Cartersville, Georgia, his hometown, and Clemson a couple of times. And he's a really impressive kid, you know, young man. I mean, he, he doesn't feel like a kid. He, he's so mature. He's been in the spotlight, had these kind of expectations on him, talking to the media, uh, been the guy that everybody looks up to on his team for since he was in like eighth grade. Uh, he's always been this guy, so he's used to it. It's not too big for him, and uh, he's obviously got a great skill set. There's a reason for it, but I think that he, this him himself, he's really impressive. He's married. He got married a couple weeks before the draft, and so like Urban Meyer said, he basically goes home, comes to work. Goes back home, comes to work, you know. I mean, and with a 22-year-old guy entering the NFL, and that's not always the case. But uh, I think the expectations are super high for the long term. I think the Jacksonville Jaguars fans are smart enough to know, hey, they're a 1-15. This isn't going to turn around overnight. But uh, don't get me wrong, there are high expectations. This is the best guy I've seen in 14 years out on a practice field for the Jags, without question. They've never had a guy like this. Does he and look- so when you can say that about that position, I think it gives you some hope. So you're, you, he looks polished out there. He doesn't look, he doesn't look out of place. No, nah, we've seen out of place. You know, I mean, listen, since 08, I saw David Garrard. Obviously, he was an incumbent and played. and had some nice years with Jacksonville, uh, but he wasn't eye-popping. Then they brought in Blaine Gabbard, and Gabbard looks really good on the practice field, but he just hadn't played a lot of football. There wasn't that maturity about him. He was super young at 21 years old when he entered the league as, like, the 10th overall pick. And then the Jets were bad around him, so he got gun-shy, and he's still playing in the league as a backup to Tom Brady, but it just never worked. Blake Bortles just didn't have, like, he wasn't a natural thrower like the quarterbacks that everybody is now that, that know the position. He was more of an athlete, and so I think, Blake was a little underrated. He had some really nice years and did some great things, but nothing like this. So this is, he looks good on the field. He looks good in in front of a microphone. He looks poised, comfortable, not rattled. Uh, Yeah, he might have held on to the ball a little bit too long for like his first preseason game. But if you watch the Dallas game, by his third preseason game, he was lighting them up. So I think there'll be some rookie bumps, but this guy is, I think the floor, Ken, is good. Uh, now you just hope he's great. And part of that is can the Jags be really good around him to make him great. Yeah, Is he a, 
Is he the savior of this franchise? Yeah, I think so. I mean, now you got Urban and Urban Meyer and all the talk there, and, and obviously Urban's won everywhere. Um, and this place probably needed to be gutted, and Urban's doing that, and flipping the organization upside down and, and doing things that just haven't been done organizationally. But as a player goes, I mean, this seriously is a guy that not just me, we, you don't have to homer up down here. You're talking about a lot of folks around the country that know football, say Andrew Luck and Peyton Manning and John Elway about this guy. So, yeah, I mean, he is the savior. He, he really has a chance to do what Peyton Manning did to Indianapolis. And those are lofty expectations. But this is a downtown that's trying to be built. There's going to be a new stadium if – you know, if they get that done within the next five to ten years, or at least a uh, refurbished stadium that spent a lot of money on it, this is going to be the place that Trevor built. And if you can win in conjunction with doing some of those things, one, it makes it easier to pass those things <laughs> to yeah. the taxpayers. Yeah. And two, <laughs> two, you you can be good for a long time to come. Indianapolis, New England, look at those examples. Uh, Jacksonville and Trevor Lawrence could be the next one. Yeah. How important is it for the fan base to be patient, though? Because, I mean, obviously, you know, Trevor Lawrence has been successful you know, as a college quarterback, won a couple of national titles. But, I mean, this is the NFL. You know, it's going to be a lot different, a lot faster. I mean, how important, how important is it for the fans to be patient and not, you know, expect great things right away? Yeah, I mean, I, again, I think they're knowledgeable enough, although, I mean, it's hard to ask this fan base to be any more patient, you know? I mean, it's been, again, I, this is my 14th year. It's been one year of 500 or better football, you know? And that's it. Uh, there's not been a lot to grab onto. And so they, we've asked people to be patient around here. The Jags have asked people to be patient around here. And this is a good fan base. And this place will be on fire if they win and win for years to come, uh, just like it was in 2017. So there's a lot to like. But I think the fans are smart enough to know, hey, this is, hopefully it turns around. Uh, this is an awful roster, but it's still a 1-15 team from a year ago carrying a 15-game losing streak going into this year. Uh, if they win six games, that's a plus five from the previous year. That's good in the NFL. Yeah. So, I mean, six wins, seven wins would be outstanding. They have a real tough schedule after their bye week that I think is going to be difficult even if they're playing good football. Uh, so it's not going to be a playoff team. It, it, it would be stunning if it's a playoff team. But six wins, seven wins, I think the fan base would see that and really feel good about it. Uh, probably not each and every Sunday as they're losing, but later on as they look back on the year. Yeah, they open up at Houston, which has its own situation with Deshaun Watson. I mean, so how important is that opening game? I mean, you know, get, get, get the win right away. I'll tell you, Ken, I think that opening game, and I, I'm not like this, because all you got to do is look back at the Jags. And I try not to be overdramatic about it. It's a long season. You get it. You're going to win some you shouldn't win. You're going to lose some you shouldn't lose. That's the way the NFL works. But that being said, I think this is a massive game. Because what you just referenced, I mean, this is a 1-15 in team. This is a fan base that's been through a lot. They want to grab on to something. Well, if you take your rival Houston, and as messy as they are, forget about just Deshaun Watson. They have been, I don't think Houston Texans fans even like the Houston organization right now. Yeah. They have been that bad. 
And so if you take all the optics of this offseason, where you have Jacksonville that's got a lot of hope, 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 and, and looks like it might be on the rise, hopefully, with Urban and Trevor and everything else. And then you take Houston, which looks like it might be in purgatory for a while, and they beat you on opening week in the NFL season because we know it could happen. It's the NFL. Still, that would be a disaster feeling here in Jacksonville. I've said this. I think it's better that the Jaguars go one and three out of the gate but win that game and lose the next three than, than maybe any other scenario other than being like three and one, then you'd probably take it. But I don't want to be here on Monday after that game in Houston if the Jags <laughs> yeah. lose. You, you mentioned Urban Meyer, obviously a uh, college coach at you know Ohio State, Florida, uh, won a couple of national titles. And uh, how's his adjustment been to the pro game? Because, I mean, we've seen college coaches – for the most part, not to see you know Chip Kelly with the Eagles a few years ago, but I go back to my youth where Dick Vermeil came from UCLA to the Philadelphia Eagles, and he had time to build a team, uh, and he adjusted very well to the, to the pro game. But I mean, how's Urban Meyer's adjustment been, and uh, can he succeed in the NFL? Yeah, it's a it's a it's a kind of a mixed bag, right? I mean, you had the, the the Doyle thing with the Iowa strength coach early. You've seen some headlines around the country from, from where you're watching in Albany to the vaccination stuff uh, of this past week. Um, and, you know, there's been some moments, the Tebow story, you know, should Tebow have been brought in? So there's been, that's Urban Meyer, right? Yeah. I mean, he's a, he's can be a polarizing figure and he's a headline. Uh, the Jags are, are headlines for, for almost every week. There's something to talk about. But I think if you get to the root of it, you go back to this guy is the third winningest coach percentage-wise in the history of the game. The guy knows how to win. Trevor Lawrence lost twice in college and like four times uh, or two more times, excuse me, in high school. The guy doesn't lose. You take those two guys that just don't lose. I don't know if they're going to win big in Jacksonville. I have a hard time seeing them lose big. They just don't know how to lose. So uh, it's going to be different. There's going to be some bumps. I think the buy-in from the players has been terrific. All you need to know, and I don't know if this was a headline up there, but you know, in OTAs, in that time where it's voluntary, and a lot of teams around the league didn't have great participation, the Jags had every player at OTAs, at voluntary workouts for Urban Meyer. So it shows you the buy-in. He really cares about the player. It's all about the player. And I think the players appreciate that because that might have been lost over the years with Tom Coughlin and, and other things going on in this organization. And they appreciate that. Now, like anything else, it was a hard training camp. I think getting off to a quick start is, is important for Urban. So the, the team knows what they just went through over these last few months was working and is effective and they continue to buy in uh to urban meyer so i think it's gonna work i think it's more pete carroll in seattle uh than than anything else it it reminds me more of that i know there are bad examples i'm not even gonna go over the top and say it's jimmy johnson from dallas i don't know if he's gonna win three super bowls but i do think some of the stuff that carroll did and if you look at what the urban has done and his research and and some of the things the jags have done to grab coaches and players i think they're really looking at that seattle model and that's one of the recent models that has worked so uh that's the one i liken it to yeah um if you had to post a predict a record for this team what do you think I'm a super positive guy down here. In fact, I call me the president of the Sunshine and Rainbows Club, okay? Um, that's been a tough thing to do now. Uh, applications have been low over the years, uh, but they're back up right now. Um, 
But I, I think I'm pretty realistic here. I think this is a six to seven win team. I think their ceiling is like if everything goes right, eight wins. And that's if everything goes right. And in a 17 game season, you're eight and nine. So I am not like crazy overboard. They're going to turn this thing around, but they should have won a few more games last year. They had a better roster. And, uh, I think they fixed the defense somewhat. Uh, they, they won't be incredible playmakers on defense, but they'll be better against the simple stuff. And, and I really think Trevor's good. And I think Trevor has a decent offense around him. It hurt losing Travis Etienne for the year. But James Robinson was a good player in the backfield. They have capable wideouts, like big money kind of wideouts with Marvin Jones and DJ Chark. And their offensive line is together for a third straight year. And that's big in the NFL yeah. and at any level of college. So I, I'm, I think they are going to be competitive. I think their schedule's tough because they've got to play the NFC West division this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm thinking six to seven. I'd probably take the seven. Uh, but but I'm not crazy. Like, if you hear somebody say nine, ten wins for the Jags, I doubt it's happening. But how are the Jaguars going to survive without Gardner Minshew? <laughs> <laughs> uh, you, the Eagles, listen, I'm yeah. a big fan of Gardner. It was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun over those couple of years. And um, I... I think it's good for Gardner, though. You know, Minshew probably wanted out. If I was in his camp, I'd want out uh, because he's stuck now. You know, I mean, obviously they went 1-15 to get Trevor Lawrence. Gardner Minshew's never playing unless there's a big injury. So I think this is a great thing for Gardner Minshew. I think that guy's capable of winning in the NFL. I don't think he's a top 12 quarterback or anything like that. Probably not going to win a Super Bowl. But I'm telling you what, I think Gardner Minshew's going to play in this league for a while. I think he's more Ryan Fitzpatrick than people think. There'll be some magic in some of his stops and might even happen in Philly. I don't know about this year. I'm not big big on Philly's roster. But uh, I think Gardner Minshew would be nice for the Eagles. Yeah, I mean, I'm an Eagles fan, and uh, I was kind of surprised by the trade. And uh, so, I mean, because they have um, Joe, Joe Flacco as the number two behind Jalen Hurts. And. I'm thinking, oh, well, what's going to happen here? I mean, who knows? We'll see what happens. I mean, it's, uh, like you said, this is a, it's going to be an interesting league. I mean, like I said, my Eagles are, eh, if they win six, I'll be happy. Yeah, well, here's the deal. Like, I'm not sold on Jalen Hurts, but you got to give him a try. You committed to him. Joe, I mean, Gardner Minshew is better than Joe Flacco right now. Yeah. Like, I wouldn't even want to play Flacco. Gardner Minshew, I'd, I'd go with him if I had to. Uh, so we'll see. Here's the question. I've asked this question on a radio show, actually. Uh, who has more wins this year, the Jags or the Eagles? Ah, um, good question. I'm thinking, looking at the Eagles' schedule, they got to play the AFC West and they got to play Tampa Bay. Uh, I'm going to go, I'll go Jacksonville. I think Jacksonville will get seven wins. I think Eagles only get six. Yeah, I had a little side wager going on there, and I can't. What do you want? Okay, same. okay, let's 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 wager here then, pal. Let's go. What do you want? What do you want to wager? <laughs> yeah, well, it's at, it's at least a two dollar uh, trifecta bet at Saratoga, <laughs> yeah, right? I mean, right. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I think I, it's going to be really close. But the NFC East, I think, is going to be a little bit better. Like, I think the Giants are going to be better in the East, and I think the Cowboys will finally show up. So that's why I think it's going to be better. Everybody has in their minds like a Washington team that won with an under 500 record. Yeah. I think the division is going to be a little better than that. So it's going to be tough for sledding for the Eagles. But, hey, one thing I've learned out here, I'm not sure you want to put your money on the Jags too often. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Brett, well, Brett, where can people find you on uh, social media? Uh, yeah, check us out. Uh, we're um, all over the social media, on Twitter especially, at Brent A.S. Jacks. 
and we do our radio show. Uh, one thing about our radio show, we put it on, um, we have video. So we put it on Twitter and Facebook and YouTube. Uh, so we have that from three to six uh, each and every day. And I do it with a former Jags player and uh, current MMA fighter. Uh, Austin Lane. So he's a unique guy and really good. So uh, check out the show three to six uh, on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, or, you know, everywhere else. It's on ESPN 690 here in Jacksonville. So uh, you can get us on all the apps and on the web and, and everywhere else too. But uh, uh, TV wise, you'll just have to keep posting. You're not going to get CBS 47 and Fox 30 uh, up there at Albany. <laughs> <laughs> well, Brad, it's great catching up with you. It's great to talk about Trevor Lawrence and, uh, We'll see what happens uh, you know, to treat the, our I mean, little side bet here with the records. Yeah, we'll, we'll have to pay that one off for sure. Uh, hello to everyone up there in Albany. We miss everybody up there in good old Clifton Park and, and everyone that's surrounding areas. But uh, great to catch up with you, Matt. All right, appreciate it, Brent. Thanks. You got it. I'll be back to wrap up the podcast and let you know what's ahead on the next edition of the Parting Shots podcast in just a moment. The NASCAR season is here, and it's time to play at the Daily Gazette's Auto Racing Contest. Go to dailygazette.com to sign up and play. Predict the order of finish of each race via your auto racing account. The fan with the most correct points for the race will win a $50 grocery card and have their name mentioned on the Party Shots podcast and printed in Friday's Daily Gazette. The fan with the most overall points at the end of the season wins the $250 grocery card. You can also win a $75 Visa gift card provided by Second Street if you're the weekly national winner. If you are the overall national winner, you will win a trip for two to the 2022 Daytona 500. So go to dailygazette.com, sign up, and play today. The Daily Gazette Auto Racing Contest is run by the Daily Gazette Advertising Department and not associated with the Daily Gazette Sports Department. Hi, I'm Kaylin Brown, Managing Editor of the Daily Gazette. You're listening to the Parting Shots podcast with Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor, Ken Schott. Back to wrap up the podcast. And as we mentioned, the NFL season kicks off Thursday, and that means you can see my picks and where you can watch the games. Go to dailygazette.com slash category slash sports to see my picks and the TV listings. Keep checking out dailygazette.com and the print edition for the latest updates in news and sports on the coronavirus pandemic. I want to thank all the doctors, nurses, and first responders who are dealing with this pandemic. We appreciate the job you are doing in this difficult time. If you have not gotten vaccinated, please do so. Do it for your family, do it for yourself, and do it for your friends. That wraps up another edition of the Parting Shots podcast. I would like to thank Dennis Wazak Jr., John Warrow, and Brent Martineau for coming on the show. I will have another podcast Friday. Gazette sports writer Mike McAdam will wrap up the Saratoga horse racing season. And Gazette sports writer Adam Schinder previews week one of the high school football season. If you have questions or comments about the podcast, email them to me at shot, that's S-C-H-O-T-T, at dailygazette.com. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Slapshots. The views expressed on the Parting Shots podcast are not necessarily those of Gazette newspapers. The Party Shots Podcast is a production of Gazette Newspapers. I'm Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor Ken Schott. Thanks for listening, and I'll catch you next time. From the Parting Shots Podcast Studio in Schenectady, New York, good day, good sports.